we are continuing our back to school sermon series where we're going to be looking at the letters to the seven churches in Revelation. Um, this morning we're looking at the church in Thyatira. Yeah, that's how we're going to go with saying it today. I've heard a lot of different people say it a lot of different ways, but we're going to say Thyatira today. So uh, Revelation 2, 18 through 29, if you want to flip there in your Bible. While, uh, while you flip there, I actually have a map, if you guys want to go back to the, I think I have a map on there, a, a photo of a map. Yes, okay, perfect. So if you see the word Asia Minor in the center of the map, if you look directly left of that, you'll see Thyatira. That's where it's located. Um, along a path, a road, that uh, connected our, our seven churches together. And at the time that Revelation was written, uh, Thyatira was a major trade city. Now, we actually don't know a lot about Thyatira. Uh, it is a city that is not naturally protected by mountains or uh, rivers or the ocean or anything like that. And so it was subject to a lot of raids over and, and war over um, the thousands of years since then to now. And so there's not much left of it, but we do know that its primary sources of income were wool, the dyeing of textiles, and bronze and copper working. And the city was known for its trade guilds. And, and that's kind of an important thing to understand for this passage because uh, tradesmen would get together and they would form kind of a coalition. They would have a guild where they would gather together and they would negotiate and take large jobs together. And it was kind of like they were working for each other and um, in a guild. And the guilds were very powerful in the city of Thyatira. They owned uh, land. And each guild would usually have its own deity. It would have its own little god that they would uh, pray to and pay homage to and have parties and, and do different things at those. All in uh, Thanksgiving and, and everything that they were doing towards this idol that was their guild idol. And um, you'll see how that ties into our passage in just a bit. Uh, you guys ready to rock and roll? We're just going to jump right in. Uh, Cliff did not lie when he said he gave me the most difficult church. Uh, he did that on purpose to the substitute teacher. I'm kidding. No, it, it's a great passage, and I'm, I'm looking forward to, uh, to unpacking it with you guys. And so let's read it. Um, verse 18 and to the angel of the church in Thyatira, right? The words of the Son of God, whose eyes are like a flame of fire and whose feet are like burnished bronze. So writing this, knowing that it is a city that does a lot of bronze and copper work. Um, I know your works, your love and faith and service and patient endurance, and that your latter works exceed the first. But I have this against you, that you tolerate that woman Jezebel who calls herself a prophetess and is teaching and seducing my servants to practice sexual immorality and to eat food sacrificed to idols. I gave her time to repent, but she refuses to repent of her sexual immorality. Behold, I will throw her onto a sickbed, and those who commit adultery with her I will throw into great tribulation unless they repent of her works, and I will strike her children dead." And all the churches will know that I am he who searches mind and heart, and I will give to each of you according to your works. But to the rest of you in Thyatira, who do not hold this teaching, who have not learned what some call the deep things of Satan, to you I say, I do not lay on you any 
other burden. Only hold fast what you have until I come. The one who conquers and who keeps my works until the end, to him I will give authority over the nations, and he will rule them with an, a rod of iron as when earthen pots are broken in pieces, even as I myself have received authority from my Father, and I will give him the morning star. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Let's pray. Father, this morning we ask that, um, that you speak to us through this passage and that you use me as a vessel for that. Lord, we ask that you open our eyes and our minds to receive your word and um, that you open uh, my mouth to speak what you have or what you want me to. Lord, uh, may I highlight the things you want me to. May I not say things that you don't want me to. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so um, as we continue this series, uh, like Cliff said, you might notice that I am not the normal teacher. I am the substitute this morning. And um, some of you loved having a substitute teacher. Some of you might have hated having substitute teachers when you were in school. Um, I, for one, loved it because that meant that it was a blow-off day. You guys feel the same way? It meant nothing was going to happen. Uh, unfortunately, though, usually with the substitute teacher, that also meant I was probably going to get in trouble that day. Because that was, I was the one who was acting up, class clown and doing things like that, um, as you could probably expect. Um, so I did not hate it whenever a substitute teacher was there, but um, I was probably getting a letter or a note sent home to my parents. Um, and one thing I remember about substitute teachers that was always really interesting is that it seemed like no matter how educated they were, no matter how well they might have known the students, when it came time to doing the roll call and reading the students' names at the beginning of the day, they never got anyone's name right. Am I right? I had, I had a teacher, actually had a professor one time try to say my name, and it's, it's very simple. It's like you pierce your ear. You know, it's, it's a normal English word, but they read it, and they don't quite know what to make of it. Pierce. 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 Is there a Pierce here? And so... Um, the, the substitute teacher doesn't know you. In fact, I have a, a quick video that kind of highlights this. I think it's cute. And so if you want to roll that video. Okay, listen up. Whenever I say your name, just say us. here. Solomon? Solomon? Oh, Solomon? Okay. Um, Luck? Is it, oh, it's Luke. Okay. Medalin? Medalin? Oh, Madeline? Oh, okay. Hunter? Hunter? Oh, is it Hunter? Oh, okay. Regan? Are you Regan? Oh, Reagan? Oh, okay, got you. Jacob? That's you, Jacob. That's Joe. Oh, Jacob? Oh, okay, okay. Nicho? Is there a Nicho? <laughs> And then the teacher loses it, right? So obviously she was doing that on purpose. Um, I wish there was a video where you could see the students reacting, because that would be great. Um, so as this substitute teacher, I do know you, right? And so um, I, I hope and pray that uh, what the Lord has given me this week speaks to um, us this morning. I'm going to continue Cliff's format of unpacking the letters to the churches where he gives three points. He's been doing this where he gives a report card. 
And so we're going to do that this morning. We're also going to look at the homework for the church and then the reward. And so we'll jump right into the report card this morning. Um, now, as Cliff has kind of said every week, I'm going to say the same thing. I am not God. This is not a, a hard and fast r report card. It's just me looking at the text and thinking, how would I grade this? And it's just kind of a fun exercise. And so if you want to show that next slide, we, we, I gave the church in Thyatira an A in service, a C plus in love, and we'll see as to why in a moment, and a D minus in discernment, D for discernment. So um, let's unpack the, the, the message briefly or the passage briefly and, and see why. So Jesus first commends the church in Thyatira and praises them for their love, their faith, their patient endurance, and their service towards others. Um, he states that their good works are ever increasing, um, that they're unlike the church in Ephesus. Ephesus had the opposite um, going on with them. This church is one that did not reject the love. They did not forget the love. And they, in fact, had their works ever increasing. And that is a, a wonderful thing. And they did not abandon their works. And this is part of the reason why I gave Thyatira an A, uh, because Jesus commends them. And it makes me think if they were a modern church, if you were to compare the church in Thyatira here to a modern church, then they might look like a church who uh, cares a lot about serving in the community. They're a church that uh, might be going and, and serving the homeless and caring for the orphans and raising funds to do various things to care for people in the community. They had a deep love and passion for caring for those and serving those in their city. They were the hands and feet of Christ where they were. That is a wonderful and commendable thing, and Jesus commends them here. But the problem is that their love for others has caused them to compromise, as, as Cliff brought up last week, that word of compromise, where they shouldn't. Um, Jesus says that they had been tolerant of false teaching from someone he calls Jezebel. And I, we're going to unpack who Jezebel is in, a little bit more in just a moment, but I want to first look at the word that Jesus uses in regard to her teaching. He says that they have tolerated her teaching. Um, tolerance is definitely a buzzword in our society today, correct? Oh my goodness. We, we have probably talked and used the word tolerance more as a society in the last few years than we ever have. Uh, tolerance is a huge deal in our society today. And on, on the surface, tolerance is a very good thing. Um, in fact, uh, I would say uh, tolerance is a very commendable thing, but our society has mislabeled and and. Uh, redefined what tolerance is, and we have turned into, all the while while talking about uh, tolerance and advocating and saying we care about tolerance as a society, we're honestly probably the least tolerant we've ever been, which is kind of weird. Um, you can take a look at social media just very briefly. You don't have to be there very long. Look in the comment section. Actually, actually don't look in the comment section because it will just make you angry, right? Because we, we live in a world that is very intolerant while uh, touting tolerance. Um, that's what cancel culture is all about, right? And it is a, a one that is claiming tolerance while being very intolerant. But tolerance, the correct definition of tolerance is really, truly a wonderful and beautiful thing. If we look at it from a biblical perspective, the, the idea of, of tolerance 
is that I can disagree with you. I, I can hear what you have to say. I can disagree with you, but I can still view you as a, a person, a human being made in the image of God who is intrinsically valuable, right? That's what tolerance really should be, that I can disagree with you and still understand that you are a human being and that you shouldn't be canceled, right? And so um, tolerance today has been redefined into something that I think, though, is, is utterly different. Uh, the, the modern reinterpretation of tolerance is this, as I have found it, that one must blindly affirm whatever someone thinks, believes, or does, no matter how illogical, crazy, improbable, or dangerous. And so the correct definition of tolerance has been thrown out in our society, um, that we can disagree that, that I don't, I mean, I don't know about you. I, I'm okay with the normal level of tolerance. Like I don't want people who disagree with me about, um, about God or about politics or things like that to be arrested and thrown in prison. Um, I, I don't want, uh, that kind of stuff. I want people who I disagree with to receive a fair trial. Um, this is a, a normal level of tolerance. And in fact, I, I would say as Christians, we shouldn't be opposed to that level of tolerance at all. That's kind of a low bar, honestly, compared to what Jesus has called us to. Jesus doesn't call us to tolerate our enemies. He calls us to love them and to pray for them. And so that's a really low bar, uh, tolerance. But the modern reinterpretation is something altogether different, that we must not just tolerate what someone believes and thinks if it's false, illogical, or dangerous, but we must affirm it and say, well, if that's what you believe, it must be true. And it doesn't take long to see that this is ridiculous. If we were to kind of stretch this out and apply it to a more extreme version, think about this in parenting. I have a two-year-old, or she's about to be two next month, and life is awesome. I love being her dad. Uh, it's really fun, but uh, most of you have had kids, and think back to maybe you have a, a young one still at home, and think about if you were to parent with the, the world's level of tolerance, what they think of when they think of tolerance. If your kid came up to you and said, Mommy and Daddy, I only ever want to eat candy for every meal, and you thought, you thought oh, we, we've got to be tolerant, so I mean, okay, who am I to judge? You know, that's, you know you're, that's a good point. You want to eat candy for every meal. Or mommy and daddy, I want to go ride my bicycle on 1604. And we say, well, I mean, we've got to be tolerant here. Well, I mean, I guess you do know what's best for you. So go for it. It'd be terrible, right? Or here's maybe a more psychological one. And this is something that our society does quite a bit. Um, not to kids as much, but um, in the adult world. Mommy and daddy, I think there is a monster that lives in my closet. And what if you responded, well, if that's what you think, then it must be true for you. So yes, yes, you do have a monster living in your closet, and you should be scared. <sighs> that would be terrible, right? That would be horrible parenting, and it doesn't take much of that to realize that's not loving at all. But this is the unloving form of tolerance that the Thyatirans were practicing in their church. They were tolerating false teaching from, from this lady called Jezebel. And it was unloving in the end. And, and this would have been a church in a lot of ways, if we were to kind of take it and apply this to the modern context, it would have been a progressive church that thinks we want to be tolerant of outside and different 
viewpoints. And who are we to tell her that what she feels convicted about is false? And so uh, we want to be loving to her, and she can teach that if she wants to. But the truth is, in their goal of being loving to the Jezebel, I suppose, um, they were actually very unloving to the people in their church because she was leading people astray and away from God, not to him. And so this is why I gave them a C plus in love, and maybe this isn't the best grading, but um, they are loving on the outside in a lot of ways because they're serving and they're doing great things in their community. A lot of ways they are very loving, but they are tolerating something that is false, and in the end, it will lead to people's destruction. And so maybe they should receive an F because it's not really loving at all. They were tolerating incorrect teaching. And let me just say, um, we are called to tolerance, but we are not called to tolerate things that God doesn't tolerate. And so, um, this here is false teaching. And in the church of Jesus Christ, we can call that out and cast it out. Uh, I gave them a D minus for discernment. Um, and it just works. D in discernment, I guess. You know, D minus for discernment. Um, now, Jesus calls the teacher Jezebel. We're going to kind of unpack who that is a little bit. So this is not likely the teacher's real name. Uh, one, because Jezebel was not a popular figure in the Bible. People would not have named their kid Jezebel. Uh, that would have been a bad idea. Um, so we, we think here that it is a symbolic pseudonym, similar to the way that Jesus brings up Balak and Balaam and the Nicolaitans in the previous letters. Uh, here he is comparing this false teacher in the Thyatiran church to an evil queen and a false prophetess in First and Second Kings. And so some of you might be familiar with the story of Jezebel. Um, is a very um, interesting character. In the Bible, Jezebel was the daughter of the Sidonian king, and she was a prophetess of uh, Baal. And she was married to, uh, wedded to Ahab, who was the king of the northern kingdom of Israel. And as soon as she became queen in, Nor in, in Israel, um, she started pushing and advocating for Baal worship in Israel. And just in case you haven't read the Ten Commandments recently, that's, that's breaking the first one. And so uh, that opened the door for lots and lots of horrific sins to enter Israel and uh, a lot of terrible things. And not only did she advocate for Baal worship, but she was also a very evil person and, and ruled um, alongside her husband and did very evil and ruthless things. For instance, one of the things that she did is she would go and identify swaths of land that she wanted her husband to own, and she would plot to kill the owner and all of their descendants. Because if the owner of the land and all their descendants were dead, then the king could inherit the land. And so she went through Israel and started finding people to murder so that her husband could inherit their land. This is a very evil person. And um, in fact, she's so evil. The Bible doesn't really, it records the death of some people um, and not a, not a lot of people. And so if, if, the, if the Bible records the death of somebody and it's a gruesome death, then they're usually not a very loved person and not someone that God looks uh, warmly at. And um, in Second Kings, Jezebel's death is recorded, and 
it says that she was thrown out of a window by her own servants and dies in that is trampled by horses and then her body is consumed by wild dogs. So this is the, this is a, yeah, I mean this, is, and you can read it, it's Second Kings, I think chapter 6, if I'm not mistaken. So you can read it if you really want to. But this is the false teacher that, or this is the person that Jesus is comparing the false teacher in Thyatira to. Um, this is that person, and uh, this is really not someone you want to be compared to. And here, Jesus is helping us see that um, the church in Thyatira is being misled by this Jezebel's teaching. They're tolerating her teaching, and um, her teaching is misleading Christians and making them believe that certain sins, such as sexual immorality, are okay. And so this is where I give them a D in discernment because uh, some of them, as we'll see in a second, did not affirm this, but some of them did. And these believers were submitting to the teaching of someone that was contradicting the word of God, and yet they were accepting it. This person was leading them to throw out God's commands um, concerning sexual immorality, and they were blindly accepting it. Which really, that should be the first sign that someone is a false prophet. Um, if someone ever comes to you and they said that they have a word from the Lord, uh, what you do is you filter that through the already spoken, inerrant word that God has given us. And if they are saying something that contradicts what God has to say, then it's false. You can throw it out instantly. And uh, they did not have the discernment to do that here. Uh, this lady was preaching something that contradicted God's word, and they didn't recognize it. And it almost makes me wonder to a degree if they did partially recognize that it was false teaching, but they were willing to look past that uh, and look past the fact that she was a false prophet because they really wanted to hear what she had to say. Like deep down, that's what they wanted. She was teaching something that they deeply wanted to be true, and even though they knew that it wasn't, they were going to follow her word instead of God's. Um, Paul actually talks about this in his letter to Timothy. You might be familiar with 2 Timothy 4, 3 and 4. says this, For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions and will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. They followed the Jezebel's teaching because it suited their own passions. They wanted those things, and they followed it and allowed it. And I hope and pray that we have more discernment than that. But do we? Are we, as a society, as a church, as Christians, individually, are we accumulating teachers and leaders to suit our own passions? Are we aligning ourselves with political figures, news groups, ideologies, teachers, even preachers who actually stand in contradiction to the word of God? And here's the real question. How would you even know unless you knew the word of God? If the only place you're getting your information from is someone else and it's secondhand knowledge, then how do you know what they're teaching is truthful? This is why I hope that you go and cross-reference what I'm preaching here against the Word of God. Don't take what I say for, for, for fact. Go and, and cross-reference it against God's Word. 
Every bit of information and entertainment we consume shapes us in some way. You may not think it does, but it does. And the only way to guard against untruthful, false teaching, false information from shaping us is either, one, to stop consuming it altogether, or the other option is to get so familiar with the truth so familiar with the Word of God that we can easily discern when what we're consuming is not the truth. Those are our two options. And so, we should get so familiar with the truth of God's Word that we immediately are able to discern when something isn't in alignment with it. And, and I, I wonder... Um, I mean, this, there's so much to say about this. Um, I, I think we look at our society and we look at the church in, in, in America and we look at uh, and we pray for revival in so many different ways um, in our country. And in a lot of ways, uh, the church is led astray because it doesn't know the word of God. Um, we become lazy people. Uh, we're not willing to actually open it and read it and... and um, and I'm guilty of this too sometimes. And, um, may we be people who aren't led astray because of our, our lack of discernment and lack of knowledge of God's word, but instead are people who cherish God's word and seek to know it more and more and more. And as we do, we won't fall into the trap that the Thyatiran church fell into, where we're led astray. And I, you know, I don't know. I, I could go on and on about this. I, I follow uh, purposely on social media and different places. I follow pastors and people and churches who do not think anywhere along the lines that I do, who do not hold scripture as authoritative word, but yet still call themselves pastors who, who, um, preach and teach and lead churches in ways that are very against what God's word uh, says. The reason I follow them is because I, I want to know what false teaching is out there so I can be against it. Um, but, um, but the truth is, my encouragement to you is, uh, the way you guard yourself against this is to know God's word. The homework for us, um, homework section this morning is uh, you can see in our passage what he tells the Thyatiran church is to repent and or uh, hold fast to the true gospel. Repent, hold fast. So uh, if you want to just look there with me in verse 21. So Jesus is commanding those who have been led astray to repent. So he says in 21, I gave her time, speaking about Jezebel, I gave her time to repent, but she refuses to repent of her sexual morality. Behold, I will throw her onto a sickbed, and those who commit adultery with her I will throw into great tribulation, unless they repent of her works. And I will strike her dead, or strike her children dead. And all the churches will know that I am he who searches mind and heart, and I will give to each of you according to your works. We have a long-suffering, patient God who even, even gave time to the false prophet to repent. And even here in Revelation is saying to those that she's leading, repent. 
um, I want to encourage you, if, if you have been following false teaching, if you haven't been, uh, and maybe you don't realize you, you have yet, and maybe you'll realize that you've been following false teaching, but I, my, my encouragement to you is, um, if you have been living a life that is wayward from what God has called us to, that to repent. And really, truly, repentance is the mark of a true believer. Um, this is why, I, this is why I struggle with certain political figures in our society who are very prominent, um, claiming Christ. But then, when you look at their life and you see how um, their actions don't align with what God has called us to at all, and when they're called out on those things, they refuse to say I was wrong. They refuse to repent. It makes me question whether they're really believers or whether they're using Jesus as a puppet so that they can get voted into office. Because repentance is the mark of a true believer. Those who are really in Christ will be brought to repentance. And all the churches will know that I am he who searches mind and heart. If you repent, this is the good news. Um, you will. Well, let me say this. This is good and bad news. The bad news uh, in verse 23 says, I will give to each of you according to your works. So the bad news is God will give to you according to your works, which is terrible news. It is because your works are terrible. Even your good works, the scripture says, are like filthy rags. So you will receive what your works are due. However, the good news is that Jesus has accomplished for you a finished work on the cross. And all you must do is place your faith in him and your works are exchanged for his. And then you're judged on those works. You're judged by what he has done for you. You're judged off of what his perfect record says and not yours. And so as Christians, we repent and we trust what God has for us and we will receive the finished work of Christ we will receive according to his work. And so that is what we hold fast to. Verse 24, if you want to look there with me again, hold fast. But to the rest of you in Thyatira, he says, Jesus says, who do not hold this teaching, who have not learned what some call the deep things of Satan. To you I say, and this is my favorite part of this, I do not lay on you any other burden. Only hold fast what you have until I come. And that's good. If you're someone who has been brought to repentance, if you're someone who has placed your faith in Christ, there's no other burden. There's, there's no other thing you must do. There's no, there's no mask you must put on when you come to church. There's no way that you need to look. There's no, uh, there's no extra thing you need to do. Jesus doesn't lay on you any other burden, only to place your faith in what he has done for you. And to hold fast to that. To hold fast to that repentance, trusting what Jesus has done. That is good news, is it not? And then our reward this morning. And we'll pause here for just a little bit because uh, this is so good. Verse 26. If you still have it open, you can look there with me. We'll have it on the screen. Verse 26. The one who conquers 
and who keeps my works until the end, to him I will give authority over the nations. And he will rule them with a rod of iron, as when earthen pots are broken in pieces, even as I myself have received authority from my Father. And I will give him the morning star. What is that? He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Okay, so first, um, we see a promise of the reward. That if you hold fast, that you are made a conqueror and co-heir with Christ. Now, this was likely a very encouraging thing sent to a very encouraging message sent to the Thyatirans because they were likely starting to see a bit of persecution. And this was something that would have very much encouraged them. Those people who are persecuting you, the, the people who you're scared to be a, a Christian in front of, um, those people will eventually be subject to you because you are going to be a conqueror and co-heir with Christ. You are going to be ruling alongside of him. Not Jesus is the ultimate authority. Jesus is the ultimate king, but this is a, a message of good news to those who were receiving persecution. Um, and if we read this and we think it seems a bit heavy-handed, then it makes me wonder if we, well, I know we're not receiving real persecution. It makes me think if we were, as a church, receiving uh, legitimate persecution like some Christians do in other parts of the world, we might read this and rejoice. Um, but today, I don't know about you, I, I, I read it for the first time and thought, ooh, wow, that's kind of intense. You're going to give them a rod of iron, and as with earthen pots are broken in pieces? This is kind of intense. Um, but this is an encouraging word to those who are persecuted that um, Jesus will lift you up out of your persecution if you hold fast. But that is not the crux of the reward. Uh, that's, just, that's just part of uh, being in Christ. The, the, the true aspect of the reward is Verse 28, I will give him the, the morning star. What on earth is that? If we hold fast to the end, we're going to get the morning star? It's like, <laughs> it's kind of weird. Um, and so what is the morning star? Well, um, the, what we do when we have figurative language like this in the Bible is we seek to figure out, does the Bible define this? And so you, the morning star is, is, is used in the Old Testament in a few places. But the good news is that Jesus defines this for us himself in chapter 22 of Revelation. And so Jesus tells us exactly what the morning star is in Revelation 22:16. In fact, it's the next to last verse of the entire Bible. And Jesus says this, I, Jesus, have sent my angel to testify to you about these things for the churches. I am the root and the descendant of David, the bright morning star. Jesus is the bright morning star. And Jesus is speaking to the church at Thyatira and is saying that those who hold fast to the truth of who Christ is, those who hold fast to their confession of faith in him as Savior and Lord, those people will receive the greatest reward of all. They will receive Christ himself. There is no better reward. And so this whole passage is truly, a, a, this, this letter to the church in Thyatira is, 
is one where Jesus is contending for the maintaining of faith. That we fight for faith. May we be people who, who stand, uh, withstand the temptation to follow false doctrine and false teachers. May we hold fast to the word of God as the authoritative truth in our lives. And may we hold fast to the confession of Jesus Christ as our Savior and our Lord. And here's the thing. Jesus says, and if you do, you will receive me. That's awesome. You may not receive by holding fast to Christ. You may not receive wealth. And you may not receive uh, prosperity. You may not receive old age. You may not receive that promotion at work that you're hoping to get. Uh, you may not receive a society that affirms you. Uh, you may not receive children that love you. You may not receive a healthy marriage. Uh, you may not receive a fair trial. Um, you may not receive tolerance. You may not receive much of what you should if we lived in a just and holy world. But the good news is, is that you will receive Christ himself if you hold fast. And the good news is that he is enough. Amen? There's no higher reward. Stand with me. I'll pray for us. And the band will work, work their way back up. And we'll sing together. Father, um, I ask this morning that you help us to understand uh, the gravity of this message. There was a lot here, a lot to unpack. And Father, I, I just ask that, um, that you convict us where you need to. If, if there's a place where we have been wayward, if there's a place where we have believe, been believing false teaching, if there's a place where uh, we have been led astray, Lord, that we repent and we come back to you. Lord, I ask that you bring that to, um, to our minds so that we can repent of it. And then, Lord, I ask that, we be, uh, that you stir in us a desire for your word. That we might grow in discernment of knowing what is true, your word, versus what is false. Which is what the world has to offer. And Lord, may we hold fast to you and to our confession of faith in you knowing that in the end, we will receive you. There's no higher reward. There's nothing on this earth that could ever compare to the weight of glory that we will receive in the end when we receive you. So Father, if, if that's a message that, that falls on us today and it doesn't seem like that great of news, then Lord, I ask that you stir in us um, and awaken us to who you really are. Because if we knew you for who you really are, then the, the news that we will receive you, that we will receive Christ himself, is the best news we could ever hear. And so, Father, um, I ask that this morning as we sing about the amazing grace that we've received through him. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.